believers relate to the issue of the Sabbath. See, on the one hand, I think a strong case can be made that believers in the New Covenant keep the Sabbath in the, in the same way. That believers in the Old Covenant kept the Sabbath just on a different day. The Sabbath is part of God's moral law for all people for all of time and not just the nation of Israel. It's rooted in God's creation of the world where God rested on the seventh day. It's smack dab in the middle of the Ten Commandments. And there were some serious consequences, as Dave read, for breaking the Sabbath. You could be put to death. And so the conclusion then is that the Sabbath should be observed by Christians as we rest from our work and we worship the Lord God together. But on the other hand, I think a case can also be made that the Sabbath has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And so the Sabbath, just like circumcision or the dietary laws or all of the other feasts that were given to Israel were part of the covenant with Israel. We also saw that in the passage that Dave read, where he says, this is my covenant with Israel. And it is a sign of that covenant with Israel. And so since we are no longer under that covenant, but under the new covenant, Sabbath observance is no longer necessary. It was a type and a shadow pointing us to the ultimate deliverance and rest that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Christian then, though he or she is, is commanded to go and worship the Lord on the Lord's day, as Scripture shows us, the Sabbath commands regarding the regulations of the Sabbath and regarding rest do not apply to the believer. Though rest is good and recommended, it's not binding on the believer. And so these are two kind of opposing views of how a believer today should relate to the Sabbath. And I've been wrestling uh, with, with these two views. I currently hold to the second view that I explained there, but I'll admit uh, it's been strongly challenged uh, over the past weeks and even weeks before that as I've been studying through God's Word. And so I guess the reason I, I say this is you can be praying for me uh, as I am uh, working through these things, attempting to be faithful to God's Word, reforming my view to, to Scripture where necessary. <laughs> but really today I'm not going to get into uh, that difficult topic, though we are talking about the Sabbath, Jesus is not dealing with the question of whether New Covenant believers are to keep the Sabbath or not keep the Sabbath, which makes sense because the New Covenant hasn't been instituted yet. It only comes after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus and disciples are living under the Old Covenant with all of its stipulations and commands, including the Sabbath. And so the, the debate here and what we're going to be looking at today is, is actually on how do we properly keep the Sabbath? In Jesus' time, there were, there were various views floating around there about what one could or could not do on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is going to address the, the answer to that. What, what does proper Sabbath keeping look like? And we, and we see similar things today. We have the same questions today. There's, there's various views, and I'm sure you've encountered some of them, of what we can and cannot do on Sunday. I mean, here are just a few for you. Uh, you can only read the Bible on the Sabbath. No sports allowed on the Sabbath. No 
cards allowed on the Sabbath, no worldly recreations on the Sabbath. If, if your children are going to play with toys on the Sabbath, they can only play and act out Christian stories from the Bible. No spending money on the Sabbath. No collecting eggs from your chickens on the Sabbath or veggies from your garden on the Sabbath. Of course, no campfires on the Sabbath. Now maybe, you know, some of these are proper interpretations of what God says when he says that you shall not work and you shall keep the Sabbath holy. And if they are true, we want to make sure that we are doing these things out of obedience to God. But on the other hand, some of them may not be a proper interpretation of the Sabbath command, in which case uh, we as Christians don't want to be adding an extra law upon what God has given. And so this is what we are, we are trying to discern as Christians seeking to be faithful to this command. What does, does proper Sabbath keeping look like? And it's an important question because we want to be obedient to God, not violating his commands, but also not adding our own traditions to the Sabbath and making them binding on ourselves or binding on others. And it's, it's, it's important also because the promise that God gives us for proper Sabbath keeping in his word. Isaiah 58 says this, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, then you will delight yourself in the Lord. You see, the Sabbath, when, when practiced properly, gives us delight in the Lord. And now maybe that might not be your experience of the Sabbath. Maybe your experience brought no delight to you at all, no delight in the Lord at all. Well, thankfully, in our passage this morning, Jesus is, is going to give us a few guiding principles on how we can properly keep the Sabbath to the glory of God and to the enjoyment of, of man in, in God, that we may delight in God. And so uh, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11, and that's what we will be studying this morning. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Let me read God's word. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, 
Come and stand here. And he arose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said, after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So our sermon this morning is going to have four principles that guide our keeping of the Sabbath. First, human needs trump Sabbath traditions. Point one. Second, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Third, the Sabbath is a day of healing from sin. And fourth, there's an obligation to do good on the Sabbath. So those those four points. Human needs trump Sabbath traditions. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of healing from sin. And there's an obligation to do good on the Sabbath. But before we get into the specifics of those principles, let's, let's look at the context of our passage. This passage is placed within a, a group of passages surrounding it that are challenging the views of the Pharisees and displaying Jesus' authority as the Son of God. You know, Jesus challenges them by, by, by saying he is the one who can forgive sins and he heals the paralytic. He challenges them by, uh, by, by not fasting and, and challenging their Sabbath traditions. He challenges them now by uh, uh, approaching their, their thoughts and their views of the Sabbath. And it all begins because uh, they're out, he and his disciples are out for a nice Sabbath afternoon stroll. And as they're walking alongside a field, they're uh, plucking the grain uh, that, is, that is there along the edge of the field. And they're rubbing it in their fingers to re- remove the chaff so they can eat the grain. Uh, and then they're eating it. But the Pharisees, they have a problem with this. And the problem is not that the disciples are, are taking grain from someone else's field. God's law allows that uh, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, that you can pluck, uh, you, you can use your hand to harvest things from, from people's field. The problem that they have is when, is when the disciples are doing these things. They are plucking grain on the Sabbath. They're doing work on the Sabbath. Exodus 20 says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. And, and, and collecting food is included in this. And we see this in, in Exodus 16. God sends manna to the people. And God tells them, collect twice as much manna on the sixth day so that on the seventh day you don't have to go out and do work and collect, um, collect food. And so collecting food, um, at least in the, the Pharisees' uh, mind, is what the, the disciples were doing here. And therefore they were in violation of the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees point to 
Jesus' disciples and they say in verse 2 of our passage, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? They see their, their activity as a violation of the fourth commandment. And that's because at, at this time, uh, when Jesus is, is teaching, there were many laws that surrounded what constitutes work on the Sabbath. There were 39 categories, There's still, we, we still have them today, of, of work that was forbidden on the Sabbath. You know, some of which included carrying, or burning, or extinguishing, or adjusting, or writing, or erasing, or washing, or sewing, or tearing, or shaping, or plowing, or planting, or harvesting, or winnowing, and, and, and that's only 24, or that's, that's only, you know, 16 of the categories that they have. There's, there's all of these things that you cannot do on the Sabbath because these constitute work. And Orthodox Jews still practice this same thing today. Have you ever heard of a Shabbat elevator? A Shabbat elevator. It's elevators that they will have in Jewish hospitals or living facilities where on the Sabbath, every single button on that elevator is pressed, every floor. Uh, And the reason that every floor is pressed, that the elevator will open at at every level, is because uh, it would be considered work for a Jew to go and to to press that button to select their floor. uh, And it would be considered uh, igniting a fire or or kindling a fire because a, a, a light turns on when they press that button. And this is a, a similar mindset of the Pharisees. You know, they, they look and they see the disciples plucking the grain and they call it harvesting. And they see them removing the chaff from the grain and they call it winnowing, both of which are violations in their mind of the fourth commandment. But we're going to see here, uh, uh, Jesus, as he, as he always does so well, is going to teach them a lesson about their traditions being elevated above the spirit of the law. And so look at verses 3 and 4 where Jesus addresses them. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And now what Jesus says here leads to our, our first of our four principles uh, Jesus gives us for proper Sabbath keeping. And the first one is that human needs trump Sabbath traditions. Human needs trump Sabbath traditions. And to communicate this, Jesus is going to quote an Old Testament passage uh, from 1 Samuel 21 to prove this point. And it's a story of, of David. If you know the story, David, he's on the run uh, from Saul. Jonathan has just come out and told him. Um, They kind of gave him one last test. uh, And Saul was very upset that David wasn't at the feast. He even tries to to spear his own son, Jonathan. So Jonathan leaves. He goes, tells David, hey, um, it's not looking good. You're going to have to leave uh, and flee. And so David flees. He's been on the run for a couple days. And he comes to the place of Nob. Now, Nob... Remember at this time, Jerusalem hasn't become the capital uh, of Israel. And so the tabernacle at this point is in in this place of of Nob. And Jesus goes and he approaches the priest Ahimelech uh, of that time. And he asks him if he has any food. He and his men are are famished from 
their escape and they, they go and they ask the priest, hey, do you have any, any food for us? But Ahimelech tells them, I'm sorry, I, I don't have uh, any bread for you. But what I do have is the bread of the presence. Now the bread of the presence, in Leviticus 24 we're told, uh, is bread that is placed uh, before the Lord in his presence uh, every Sabbath day. So the priest will come and they'll take the bread, they'll place it in the holy place of God, and it was restricted uh, for only priests to eat and only for priests to eat in the sanctuary area. The bread couldn't be taken out of that area and the bread couldn't be given uh, to people who were not priests to eat. That was God's command. And so uh, uh, Ahimelech here is kind of faced with a moral dilemma. Does he violate Leviticus 24 and and give these men who aren't priests, who aren't going to be eating it in the sanctuary, does does he give them the bread? Or does he turn away these people who have a, a genuine need before him? It's like that classic moral dilemma. Do you, do you lie? Do you break the, the commandment and lie uh, about hiding Jews in your, your house? It, it raises the question in our minds, does God at times permit the violation of certain laws when confronted with a weightier matter of the law? And we see here that Ahimelech, the high priest, thinks that, that yes, God does permit that at times. And so he is going to bend the rules, bring the bread outside of the holy place and give it to David and his men in order to meet their needs. And so we need to ask the question, why, why is Jesus quoting this story to them? You know, what, what is Jesus' point in all of this? Well, his point is, is that if, if David was able to violate the temple law because there was a human need that needed to be met, then clearly the disciples are permitted to violate the Pharisees' laws regarding the keeping of the Sabbath. There can be a, a relaxation of legal observance in the face of human need. You know, the, the law that was given to the priest in Leviticus 24 was never meant to be uh, the priest can only ever have this and if someone comes to you in need and it, it is starving, you can't give them food. That was never the intent of the law. That was never the spirit of the law. There can be a relaxation of these legal uh, observances in the face of genuine human need. Or in other words, human needs trump your Sabbath traditions. And so now practically we ask the question, what might that mean for us? Well, if someone needs help with something, you don't say, I'm sorry, it's the Sabbath and we don't have enough food for you. And God says, I can't go to the grocery store and buy stuff on the Sabbath. Or if someone needs a ride somewhere, you don't say, well, I don't have enough gas. And God says, I can't fill up gas on the Sabbath. You don't say, you know, if someone comes up to you and and has issues or challenges or problems that they're needing counsel on you don't say sorry can you wait till after Sunday to reach out to me whatever it is your own Sabbath traditions are are you willing to love others more than you're willing to love your traditions 
Are you willing to love others more than you're willing to love your traditions when a genuine need comes around? You know, we can't, we can't be lazy and then say, ah, well, I have a genuine need here that I need to meet. It's when, it, when an actual genuine need comes, uh, are, you, are you going to put that above uh, your, own, your own traditions that you've set? And so that's the, the first principle. Human needs trump our Sabbath traditions. Now, moving on to the second principle that should guide our Sabbath practice is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. So after quoting the story in verse 5, Jesus says, And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath? Well, I think it means two things primarily. First, Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath means that he is the one who sets the parameters of what is and is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh and the one who instituted the Sabbath, and therefore he has authority to say what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. It reminds me of that scene in Narnia. When the queen comes before Aslan, she tries to cite to him this ancient law, and Aslan growls back at her and says, do not cite this law to me. I was there when it was written. See, Jesus here is is saying, he is Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees have no right to tell him what is and isn't lawful for his disciples to do on the Sabbath. And so that's the first thing Jesus is communicating with this idea that, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He sets the parameters for the Sabbath. And now, now a second, and I think a, a little less obvious, though, though still there in the text, uh, Jesus, Jesus is saying here that the, that the Sabbath is subject to him. The Sabbath is subject to him. He is Lord over of the Sabbath, and it is subject to him. And let me explain. The person that is Lord is always greater than the person he is Lord over. The the Lord of the kingdom is greater in authority than the inhabitants of the kingdom. Jesus is Lord of creation. He's Lord of our lives, which makes him greater than us in authority and, 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 and has power over his creation. And the same is true with the Sabbath. Jesus is, is placing himself as one who is greater than the Sabbath. And in, in Matthew's account of this, so we have this account in, in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Matthew's account of this same event, this idea is, is communicated a little bit more clearly to us. Listen to what Matthew says in, in Matthew chapter 12. He says, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath day, on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now notice here the the connection that Jesus is making. He says that something greater than the temple is here, and and he's referring to himself, the true temple of God. And likewise, something greater than the Sabbath is here. Jesus as Lord 
of the Sabbath and the Sabbath that Jesus brings. And so, you see, remember what the purpose of the Sabbath was, was in that original command where God gave it. In Exodus 20, it says that the Sabbath was given to give you rest from your works. The Sabbath was given to give you rest from works, to give you nourishment at the end of a difficult week so we can worship and rest in God's mercy and grace. But you see, the problem is, apart from Jesus Christ, there is no real rest. Sure, we can have earthly rest. We can have physical rest. Our minds and our bodies can rest one day out of seven. But there is no rest for the soul apart from Christ. See, God has, has set a standard that we are called to meet. And that standard is, is perfect holiness. And yet it's a standard that we will never be able to meet because of our sinfulness. You know, we, we strive to meet it, but we fall. And we strive again and we fall again. And life is this continual cycle of, of trying to meet this standard, but always coming up short and always being condemned in the end. And so there is, there is absolutely no rest for the guilty soul. That is, until Jesus comes. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus is the one who comes and he provides a way out of this continual cycle of striving and failure and no rest. And he says, come to me and I will give you true rest. You can cease from your attempts at righteousness because I purchased your righteousness with my blood on the cross and now I offer it to you by faith. So come to me, the Lord of the Sabbath, and I will give you rest. See, the Pharisees saw the need to keep the Sabbath, but they missed what the Sabbath pointed to. A Sabbath rest for their souls, provided for them by the Lord of the Sabbath. And we don't want to fall into that same mistake the Pharisees made. You know, we, we don't want to find our ultimate rest in a day. We find it in a man, the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And so if, if you're here and, and, and your soul has no rest, you, you, you are striving to, to be acceptable before God, you are striving to earn your favor before God by your obedience, you, know, you recognize that that you'll never be able to do that. You'll never be able to do that. There will be no rest for your soul. But Jesus can do that. And Jesus did do that. And he invites you to give up that impossible endeavor and to come and find rest from your works in him. And I don't think the conclusion necessarily is then that we don't keep the Sabbath, that the Sabbath day is not... Um, 
still valuable for us to, to get physical rest and to focus more upon that rest that Christ has done. done. But we need to make sure that, that you don't miss the point of, of what it was all about. Or should, or, or should I say who it was all about. Let your Sabbath be, be a time of, of joy and thanksgiving in the Lord of the Sabbath who has given you eternal rest for your soul. And so that's the, the second principle Jesus gives us. That Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now on to the third principle we see here regarding how to properly keep the Sabbath. We see that the Sabbath is a day of healing from sin. Look at verses 6 to 10. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he, might, whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. So we enter into a new scene here in our, our narrative, and Jesus shows up at the synagogue on another Sabbath day, and uh, there's a man there with a withered, paralyzed hand, and the text says that the Pharisees were watching Jesus to see if he was going to heal this man so that they could accuse him of, of violating the Sabbath. And now when you, when you think of that, you think of that sentence I just said, isn't that such a sad reality? I mean, this, this man who is visibly suffering from his ailment is worshiping the Lord at the synagogue and the scribes and Pharisees who are supposed to be the shepherds and leaders of this man are so hardened to the truth and the authority of Jesus that they would rather see this man go home crippled than to have their Sabbath traditions violated. See, at the, the time, there was a Jewish law that you could not heal on the Sabbath unless it was life-threatening. You know, if, if, if a person was going to die, then yes, you could go ahead and you could heal them and you could save them. But if it wasn't life-threatening, it, it could wait until another day so you wouldn't be working on the Sabbath. And we see this in, in another part of the book of Luke. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, which I think explains this. Luke chapter 13, and I'll read verses 10 to 14. Now he was teaching on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed 
and not on the Sabbath day. See, in this scene, Jesus heals a woman who has been crippled for 18 years, and the ruler of the synagogue, likely a Pharisee, is furious. He's indignant at what Jesus has done. God has given us six days to work. You are distracting the people from the Sabbath. This woman has lived for 18 years with this crippling disease. Surely she can live one more day without you violating the Sabbath. You are disrupting the worship of God with your work on this day. And Jesus' response to her is really quite amazing. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? See, Jesus' point is that the Sabbath is absolutely an appropriate time for healing. He calls them out for their hypocrisy because they'll go, they'll untie their donkey or their ox, they'll free it from its, its captivity to whatever it's, it's bound to, to allow it to go and have water, but they won't allow for a person made in the image of God, a daughter of Abraham, to be set free from her burdens of sin and Satan and the consequences of sin. You see, they, they, they wouldn't violate even their own traditions to see somebody healed and set free, even though they violated themselves when they untie their donkeys and set them free to go drink water. See, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus, Jesus goes out of his way to heal on the Sabbath. And that's because he's trying to communicate something to us. And this is the, the, the third principle, that the Sabbath is a day of healing from sin. The Sabbath is about healing and restoration. The Sabbath is not about enslaving you like the Pharisees thought and wanted to do, but it's about freeing us to serve and love and worship and rest (coughs) in God. (coughs) Jesus heals on the Sabbath to point towards the healing and freedom from sin that will be accomplished on the cross. Now, you may not know this, but the, sa- the, but, but the Bible actually gives two givings of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is given in Exodus 20, but it's given a second time in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And they're rooted in actually two different things. The Sabbath in Exodus 20 is rooted in what? In God's creation and, and God resting on the seventh day of creation. But the Sabbath in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is rooted in something else. Listen to these words. You shall... Remember that you were a slave of Egypt. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, the Sabbath for Jews is rooted in their freedom from slavery in Egypt. And today, our Sabbath is rooted in our freedom, sin, and death through Jesus Christ. And so the Sabbath is to be practiced with this focus upon freeing, healing, and the finished work of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And so then again, practically, the Sabbath is less about the day and more about the meaning of the day. A day of healing, a day of freedom, a day of rejoicing in the liberation from sin through Jesus Christ. And so evaluate your Sabbath observance and your Sabbath traditions in light of that truth that the Sabbath is a day of healing from sin. Now on to our final principle regarding the Sabbath. We see that there's an obligation to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus in verse 9 says to them back in in Luke chapter 6. He says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so once again, the question is being raised here, similar to in that first um, scene of our story that we had. Is it lawful to do something on the Sabbath? Is it, is it lawful to, in this case, heal someone on the Sabbath? And Jesus' answer is essentially this. It is always lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It is always lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And in fact, Jesus seems to indicate that if you are not doing good or not saving on the Sabbath, then you're actually doing the opposite. You're doing harm or you're destroying. A failure to do good when presented with the opportunity is itself evil. And so the Pharisees, though they thought they were doing good by by keeping the Sabbath holy, not healing this man, they were actually doing evil. And you see the evil come out in their hearts when they're furious with what Jesus has done. And it all boils down to, similar to that very first point, they have a love of their tradition above their love of people. See, the Pharisees, they were were self-proclaimed lovers of God's law. They might have known the law and memorized it down to a T, but they missed the spirit of the law. And what I mean by that is that, that people can know all of the right answers. They can have all of the right practices and yet completely miss the forest for the trees. Jesus summarizes the, the whole law in, in two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the Pharisees had missed this. They had completely missed this. They, they had got lost in their own tradition. They had got lost in the trees surrounding the law that they were blind to the greater good that was being done here. In Matthew's account of the story, which I read earlier, Jesus quotes them, Hosea 6, verse 6, as a rebuke to the Pharisees. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire an acknowledgement of God, not burnt offerings, or more than burnt offerings. And what Jesus is saying here by quoting this them is that, is that God puts a greater emphasis on the heart than he does on external conformity. Those those things are good. I'm not saying there should be any external conformity. They are required of us, but they are subject to the weightier matters of the law. First John, if anyone sees his brother's needs and does nothing, how does the love of God abide in him? How does the love of God abide in that man? See, on the Sabbath, we have an obligation to desire 
mercy and to do what is good. We stop certain types of working on the Sabbath, but we don't stop all types of working. Not works of mercy and righteousness. It's as Jesus says in John chapter 5 after healing a man, my father, God himself, is always at work, even to this very day, the Sabbath day. And I too am working. See, Jesus doesn't cease from, from doing anything on the Sabbath. We don't cease from doing good on the Sabbath. And so in conclusion then, to finish up the sermon, we see four principles here from Jesus that should guide how we think about the Sabbath. First, human needs trump our Sabbath traditions. Second, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Third, the Sabbath is a day of healing from sin. And fourth, there is an obligation for us to do good on the Sabbath. And so what I, what I want from, from you today, what I think God wants from you after working through this passage, is to leave here and evaluate your, how, how you are keeping the Sabbath and what you hold to as proper Sabbath keeping. And then what you should do is line that up with what Jesus says. Line up what you say about the Sabbath, what, what God's word says about the Sabbath. Are you doing good on the Sabbath? Are you using the Sabbath as a day of, of healing from sin? Are the needs of others brushed aside or are they embraced with joy? And most importantly, are you finding your true rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath? Now let me leave you with one final verse from Hebrews chapter 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let me pray.